Our topic for tonight is the Omega Mystery, Revelation's secret to personal power. We have, in this age, come to an age of power, to an age of technology. We've never had more gadgets, more inventions than we do at the present time. This is the hour of power, the age of technology. But in spite of all our advances in modern society, modern man, it seems, is more addicted to bad habits than perhaps any other past generation of history. The world at large is enslaved to bad habits such as alcohol, tobacco, drugs, lust, and many other bad habits. And the question is, who can provide us with personal power? We have all sorts of power, electric power, nuclear power. We have all sorts of gadgets. But who can provide us with personal power? Could it be that Jesus is the one? Let's go to John 1, verse 12. We have it on the screen tonight. John chapter 1, verse 12. This Put it will, in your notes. This will be sort of our theme verse tonight. And it says here, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Do you want to have power in your life? Then what you need is to receive Jesus. What the world needs today is not more electronic gadgets or power companies or technologies. The world today needs Jesus. We don't need more guards or armies or police. What the world needs is Jesus. When we receive Jesus, we receive what? Power. We receive personal power. How much power does Jesus have, son? Well, the Bible tells us in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So how much power does Jesus have? He has all power. And when you receive Jesus, how much power do you receive? Unlimited power. You right. need to receive Jesus, friends, if you want to have power. Would you like to have power in your life? Then you must receive Jesus. When you receive Jesus, you receive personal power. He's sort of like the A to the Z of power. In fact, in Revelation, he's referred to as the Alpha and the Omega. Let's go read that. Revelation 21, verse 6. You can mark that, those of you taking notes. Revelation 21, verse 6 says, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Are you thirsty spiritually? You can come to Jesus and have your spiritual thirst satisfied. But he's called here the Alpha and the Omega. What's Alpha? That's the first that's, letter of the Greek alphabet. That's right. And what's Omega then? It's the last letter of the Greek alphabet. If Jesus were speaking to us in English, he'd say, I am the A and I am the Z. Revelations Alpha and Omega is Jesus Christ. He is everything you need for power. He's everything you need for peace. He's everything you need for hope. He's everything you need for salvation. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Alpha and the Omega of history. He's the Alpha and the Omega of prophecy. Is he the Alpha and the Omega in your life? The first, the last, the best, and everything in between? If so, you have 
personal power. The Bible tells us, John 1, 12, let's read it all together tonight. As, as many, many as received him, him Jesus, Jesus, to them gave he gave power. All history has been affected by Jesus Christ. Virtually every world religion agrees that Jesus existed. Some say, well, he was a good man. Some say he was a philosopher, a prophet, or maybe a moral teacher. But if he was just a prophet, just a philosopher, just a moral teacher, then he cannot provide us with personal power. You see, a philosopher can give us an ideology a moral teacher can tell us what is right from what is wrong. But the fact is, most of us, we already know what is right from what is wrong, don't we? Like the issue of smoking. Most people know that smoking is dangerous for their health, and it will kill them. And many people even want to quit, but they just don't have power. They're sort of enslaved or addicted by the habit. They say, I'd like to quit, but I don't have the power. It's not that we don't know what is right from what is wrong. We don't have the power to do what we know to be right. We need more than somebody to show us the right way to go. We need someone that can give us the power to go the right way. Could it be that that someone is Jesus Christ? Yes, the Bible says. What's it say? All together. As many as received Jesus, to them he gave power. Now, my question for you tonight, do Christians need to receive Jesus? Let me illustrate this way. Some time ago, we were living in Montana, and in Montana, it's cold. And I remember one evening, I crawled into bed next to my wife, and my wife, I was just getting comfortable in our warm bed, had all the blankets pulled up, and my wife nudges me. She says, honey, there's a mosquito in here. Translate that, ladies. What that means, husband, get out of bed, turn on the light, find the fly swatter, find the mosquito, kill it, and then come back to bed. I didn't want to. I was comfortable. I didn't hear any mosquito. So I just lay there. I acted like I hadn't even heard my wife. And a few minutes later, my wife nudges me a little harder. She said with a little more emphasis, honey, there's a mosquito in here. You think I wanted to get out of bed into the cold room? I didn't want to get out of bed. What did I need right then? I needed to receive Jesus because self did not want to get out and find that mosquito. I crawled out of bed, found the mosquito, killed it, went back to bed. My wife was happy. We need to receive Jesus every time self is crossed. Does Jesus really have the power that he claims to have? Power to enable us to live a victorious life. Well, Jesus made many claims when he was on earth. He claimed to be God, John 10, 27 to 30. Now, he either was or he was an imposter. He claimed pre-existence before he was born in the earth. John 8, verse 58. 17, 5. He claimed to be the Messiah, John 4, 26. He claimed to be omnipotent, to have all power. We read that verse earlier, Matthew 28, 18. He claimed to know the future, John 13, 19. He claimed to have power to forgive sins, and that comes from Matthew 9, 2. He claimed to know man's thoughts, John 2, 25, and that's not all. 
He claimed to be the way and the truth, John 14, 6. The resurrection and the life, John 11, 25. The door, John 10, 7. The living bread, John 6, 51. The true vine, John 15, 1. The light of the world, John 8, 12. And without sin, John 8, verse 56. My friend, Jesus 46. is either all that he claimed to be and so much more, or he is the greatest imposter that has ever lived. We're going to see tonight that indeed Jesus is everything that he claimed to be and so much more. And so we are going to go on a pilgrimage, so to speak, tonight, and we're going to consider the biography of Jesus written out in advance. This topic could also be entitled, The Man Who Wrote His Biography Before He Was Ever Born. That's Jesus. And Jesus invites us to study his biography you can read that in John 5, verse 29, 39 rather. John 5, verse 39, Jesus says, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. When Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, what Scriptures did they have to search? You know, the Bible is divided into two parts, Old Testament written before Jesus, New Testament written after Jesus. When Jesus said, search the Scriptures, what part of the Bible did they have to search? The Old Testament. So he said, search the Old Testament Scriptures, and you will discover that they tell about me. And so that's exactly what we're going to do tonight. We're going to see that the Old Testament scriptures foretold the place of Christ's birth, the manner of his birth, his betrayal, and even the manner of his death hundreds of years before it ever happened. In fact, Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. Now, we don't have time tonight to look at all of them, but we would expect that he would do that because he is the... Alpha and Omega. That's right. The Alpha and the Omega of Revelation. Here are a couple of examples of prophecies Jesus fulfilled. Prophecy predicted that Jesus would be born of a virgin. That was Isaiah 7, 14, fulfilled 700 years later in Luke 1, 26 to 38. Prophecy foretold where the Messiah would be born. He would be born in Bethlehem. That was foretold by Micah, the prophet Micah, in Micah 5, verse 2, and again fulfilled about 700 years later in Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. And then prophecy predicted Christ's ministry. That was foretold in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and was fulfilled in a marvelous way in the four Gospels. In fact, son, let's read this passage, Isaiah 61, verse 1. You can put it in your notes tonight. The Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is a prophecy of the Messiah. Because the Lord hath anointed me. The Bible tells us in Acts 10, 38, that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Does anybody know when did God anoint Jesus with the Holy Spirit? At his baptism. That's when the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and the voice spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son. That's when he was anointed with the Holy, Holy Spirit. So the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. What's another word for good tidings? Good news. Or gospel. Do we need good news today? Yes. Where do you find good news? On television? CNN? If you want good news, go to the Word of God. The good news that you can be forgiven. The good news that there is hope for you. 
the good news that God is preparing a mansion in glory with your name on it. We need good news, and you find the good news in the Bible. He has sent me to buy, this is all the same verse. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted tonight? You can bring the broken pieces of your shattered life to Jesus, and the one who bound up broken hearts back then is still binding up broken hearts today. And what else, son? Well, it also says Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Whatever bad habit you may be in captivity to tonight, whatever addiction it may be, Jesus has the power to set you free. Tobacco, alcohol, drugs, lust, whatever bad habit you are in bondage to, Christ can deliver you. He can set you free. The Bible says he came to set to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. I had a young man attending one of my seminars some years ago. His name was Andrew. He was a Satan worshiper at an altar that he would worship the devil at in his home. He had 666 tattooed on both wrists. And he began to realize that he was in the worst type of bondage, in bondage to demons, evil spirits. And he received our flyer, like most of you did, and so he came to the presentation, and this night when we talked about the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus Christ, that young man decided to give his life to Jesus. He told me later it was a terrible struggle between Christ and all these demons that were controlling him, but he said, the power of the Lord broke the power of the devil in my life. He became a Christian, later was baptized, born-again Christian. Jesus set him free. Jesus can set you free. Jesus, all we have to do is look at the prophecy or look at the life of Jesus to see how he marvelously fulfilled this prophecy in Isaiah 61. Jesus said such things as, Let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. John 14, 1 to 3. He said things like, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight to thirty. And he said in John 6, verse 37, that the one who comes to him, he will not turn away. And then he said in Luke 5, verse 20, my son, your sins be forgiven. And he says that to you. When you confess your sins, those words are for you as well. One day when Jesus was here on earth, the religious people brought to him a woman that they had caught in the act of adultery. It was a trap, really. And Jesus, instead of condemning the woman, he forgave her, and he told her to go and sin no more. And in the power of Jesus, that woman began a new life, an empowered life. And Jesus has the power to help you live an empowered life. That's why the Bible says, let's read it all together. John 1 verse 12 says, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave power. Some of the most amazing prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah relate to the timing of the Messiah. Prophecy foretold when the Messiah would appear and when he would die. Time prophecy. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, mark that down tonight. When the fullness of the, the what? Time. Time was come, God sent forth his son. Jesus came right on time. 
Let's go look at that tonight. We are going to look at mathematical evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. Math is an exact science. How many of you here love math? Let me see your hands. Oh, there's a few hands. I don't see too many hands, son. <laughs> I remember I asked that question some time ago at another seminar, and there was only one man that put his hand up. And I learned after the meeting he was a math teacher. I guess if you're going to teach math, then you better like it. Now, this is easy math right here, Bible math. We're going to Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27. Daniel 9, 24 through 27, mathematical evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. It says here, Seventy weeks are determined upon your people and upon your holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So it says here, 70 weeks are determined for your people. Who are Daniel's people? That would be the Jews, the, the Hebrews. Jews. 70 weeks. Let's do the math. This is too easy, right? We got the answers on the screen. 70 weeks, seven days of the week. 70 times seven is? 490 days would be for Daniel's people. But in prophecy, son, what does a day represent? Well, a day in Bible prophecy actually stands for one literal year. Here's our text, Ezekiel 4, 6. I have appointed you each day for a year. Numbers 14, 34, each day for a year. In Bible prophecy, one prophetic day stands for one literal year. Now, that's only in the prophetic parts of the Bible. Any other time, a day is 24 hours. But when you're studying prophecy, it's sort of like when you look at the map. And the map legend says one centimeter equals one kilometer. God says when you're studying prophecy, in prophecy, one prophetic day equals one literal year. So Genesis 29, 27 is another text. One prophetic day, one literal year. We have 490 days. That would be what? 490 Years. years would be for Daniel's people. 490 prophetic days is the same as 490 literal years. This is a time prophecy. And, of course, the obvious question would be, when was the 70 weeks, the 490 years, to start? What would be the beginning date? Well, let's get an answer to that from Daniel 9, verse 25. It says, know therefore and understand that from, this is the next verse, Daniel 9, 24, now we're reading verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from, from when? From the going forth of the commandment or decree to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, here's our prophecy, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. So it says, from the going forth of the command to restore and to build Jerusalem. At this time, Jerusalem lay in ruins. It had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And so the angel is telling Daniel, when the decree goes forth that you can return to your city, rebuild your city, restore your city government, that will be the starting date of this prophecy. Now, son, can you tell us when was that date? 
Well, that date was actually 457 BC, towards the last part of the year. And this is one of the most confirmed dates in history. You can read the decree in Ezra 7, verses 11 through 26. Who was the king that issued the decree? The king who issued the decree was Artaxerxes I. The decree for the Hebrews to return to their homeland, return to their city, Jerusalem, and rebuild and restore. What was the year? 457. 457 B.C. in the latter part of the year. You can confirm this even in the encyclopedia. Yes, it says, Artaxerxes I decrees that the city government of Jerusalem shall be reestablished. See Ezra 7, Daniel 9, and Nehemiah 1 in the Old Testament. What's our date? 457 B.C. in the latter part of the year. So we have our beginning date now for this prophecy, the 70 weeks, 490 days or years. 457 B.C. is the beginning. Let's read again verse 25. During this time, during the 490 years, Messiah would come. Let's review verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from, from the going forth of the commandment. When was the date? 457 B.C. in the latter part of the year. From the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. Shall be seven weeks and threescore in two weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall even in troublous times. Let's diagram this. So it says, from the commandment unto the Messiah, the prince, seven weeks and three score and two weeks. That's seven plus 62. Seven plus 62 is 69. 69 weeks. 69 weeks is how many days? That's 483. 483 days or 483 years, literal years would bring us from the decree down to the Messiah, the appearing of the Messiah. 69 weeks, 483 years, brings us unto the Messiah. Now watch this. 69 weeks is one week less than the total 70 weeks for the Jews. 483 years is seven years less than the total 490 years for the Jews. So we have a one-week or seven-year period. And we're going to see in just a moment where that one-week or seven-year period fits. We'll come back to that in just a moment. So from the decree to restore Jerusalem until the anointing of the Messiah would be 69 prophetic weeks or 483 literal years. Let's diagram that. I think some of you have the diagram there in your hands. We have the decree to build the city. 483 years or 69 weeks would bring us down to Messiah the Prince. Our starting date... 457 B.C., 483 years brings us to 27 A.D. in the latter part of the year. Let's diagram that this way. From the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, 457 B.C., 483 years leads you to A.D. 27. You say, well, why is it A.D. 27? If we take 483 and subtract 457, we get only 26. You say, I thought it was 27. 
Well, 457 minus 457 is what? It's zero. Was there a zero year in history? No, there was no zero year in history, so you have to take 26 and add 1 to get AD 27. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's imagine that I'm over here. Let me back up for just a moment. Mathematically, you go from minus 1 to 0 to plus 1. But in history, you go from 1 B.C. down to 1 A.D. There was no zero year. So let's suppose I'm over here at 3 B.C., my next step is 2 B.C. My next step is 1 B.C. What's my next step? 1 A.D. There was no zero year. So when you do the mathematical calculation, you have to remember there's no zero year. As long as you understand that, everything fits. A full 483 years from the latter part of 457 will bring you down to the latter part of 27 A.D. Now, the question, of course, is what was happening in 27 A.D.? Well, Son? the Bible tells us exactly what was happening. In Luke 3, 1, it says, Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... And Tiberius Caesar began to rule in 12 A.D., so his 15th year would be 27 A.D. 12 plus 15 is 27 A.D. What was happening in 27 A.D.? The Bible says, Luke 3, 1 and 3. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, what he... What year? 15th year. What year was that? 27. 27 A.D.? He, John the Baptist, came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And the question, who came among those to be baptized? Jesus. What year? A.D. 27. 27. Now, follow. Messiah, in Hebrew, means anointed one. Christ in Greek means anointed one, and the Bible tells us in Acts 10, verse 38, that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. When did God do that? Baptism. At his baptism, if you'd like the text, Luke 3, verses 21 and 22. Jesus was, uh, the Bible says, about 30 years old. Now you say, Pastor, that's confusing. If it's 27 and he's 30... How do you figure that? Well, they didn't quite get the B.C.A.D. crossover right at Jesus' birth. He was actually born about 3, 4 B.C. So as long as you understand that, the Bible tells us he was 30 years old when he was baptized. But what year was it? A.D. 27. It was 27 A.D., right on time. In fact, what happened? After his baptism. Jesus began to preach, Mark 1, 15. He said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe in the gospel. What time was fulfilled? The time prophecy of Daniel 9 that we're looking at tonight. That's right. Jesus came right on time according to the prophecy that we're just looking at here in Daniel chapter 9. We've got 69 weeks unto the Messiah. That leaves how much? One more week or seven years, and you can see where it fits. That one week, seven-year period fits right there after Messiah's baptism. What was going to happen during this one week or seven-year period? Well, three and a half years after Christ was baptized, after he was anointed, he would die on the cross. Was that also foretold in prophecy? Yes. Let's go back to Daniel. Daniel 9, verse 26 says... 
And after threescore and two weeks, so after he appeared, after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. What's that mean, cut off? That means he would die, but the Bible says not for himself. Who did he die for? He didn't die for himself. He died for me. He died for you. But exactly when would he be cut off, son? Well, it says here, verse 27, and he, that's Jesus, the Messiah, he would confirm the covenant with many for one week. There's our seven years. And in the midst of the week, he would cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. Right in the middle. There again is the diagram. And I think you have the diagram or something similar in your hands. Middle of seven is, of course, three and a half. Three and a half plus AD 27 leads you to AD 31. In the first part of the year, in the springtime or the early part of the year, Jesus died on the cross in exact fulfillment of the prophecy. All the types that pointed forward to Christ, the sacrifices, the lambs, the animals, all those symbols that pointed forward to Jesus, they ended when Christ died. He brought those to an end as Daniel prophesied. Three and one half years after his baptism, Jesus died on the cross, right in the middle of that final prophetic week, just as the prophecy had predicted. Let's go back to Daniel now, Daniel 9, verse 27. And he, who's that? Jesus. That's the Messiah. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. One week is how long? Seven days or? Seven years, and in the midst of the week, middle of seven is how much? Three and a half. He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease or to stop. You have to understand that back in Bible times, when you sinned, you had to bring a sacrifice. Usually they would bring a lamb. But the Bible tells us when Jesus died on the cross, that put an end, brought an end to all the sacrifices. We don't have to sacrifice lambs anymore because Jesus, the Lamb of God, died. And then the Bible shows us that three and a half years later, that would lead you to A.D. 34. What was happening in A.D. 34? Well, Acts 7, 54 to 60 says that Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned to death by the Sanhedrin. And then after that, the gospel went to the Gentiles, Acts 8, 1 through 4. That brings us to the conclusion of the 490 years for Daniel's people, for the Hebrews. And the good part is you have all this in your hands. You should have this diagram. If you didn't get it, then register for the program, and you can get a copy on your way out. So we can see that Bible prophecy was fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. But son, Jesus died on the cross, and a Roman soldier stuck a spear into his side to ensure that he was dead. It's all over for Jesus if he's just a philosopher. Just a moral teacher. There's nothing more final than death. Death is where every biography comes to an end. They took Jesus' body off the cross and they put it into a cold, dark, damp tomb. But that's not where the biography of Jesus ends. No, Jesus came forth from the grave on Sunday morning. And that was also foretold in prophecy in Psalm 16, verse 10. The founder of Christianity is not in the grave today. He's alive today. 
You might want that text in your notes, Psalm 16:10. The prophecy that Jesus would not stay in the tomb. Today we serve a risen Savior. If you're a Christian, we serve a risen Savior, the founder of every other great world religion today is in the tomb, including who, son? Darwin. Charles Darwin? Yes. Is that a religion? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, evolution is a religion because it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in creation. And Charles Darwin is in the tomb along with all the other great religious leaders, but not Jesus. We serve a risen Savior. He's alive. How much power can you get from a religious leader that's in the grave? The founder of Christianity is not in the grave today. He's alive. And that is why the Bible tells us altogether, read with us, as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave power. He's alive. And so he can give us power. Because Jesus died for our sins, he can forgive us. Buddha didn't die for my sins. Confucius didn't die for my sins. Muhammad didn't die for my sins. But Jesus did. So he can forgive me. Right. But because he's alive today, he can empower me. He can give me personal power. Jesus is the lamb that died for our sins to atone for our sins. That's why the Bible says, John 1:29, behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He takes away the sin of the world. He wants to take away your sin. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 1:9, put that in your notes tonight, 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he, that's Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've had people say, well, I don't think he could forgive me. I'm too evil, too bad. Well, let's read this verse the way some people read it. They say, if, he, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins except for abortion except for my sin. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says. If we are willing to confess our sins, He is willing to forgive us. And more than that, He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me back up for just a moment. When I confess my sins to Jesus, it's as if I'm giving away my guilt. Now, I want to illustrate that tonight. I have here... In my hands, a thousand peso bill. I have it. It's mine. But I want to give it away. Now I don't have it anymore. Who has it? Who doesn't have it then? I don't have it anymore. When you confess your sins to Jesus, you are, as it were, giving away your guilt. Right. Don't take it back. So give me that back. There's so many people, they confess their sins to the Lord, and then they go around feeling guilty. I don't feel, I feel guilty. When you confess your sins to Jesus, you've given him the guilt. Has he paid the penalty? Oh, yes. Did he pay the price? 
Your sins have been paid for. When you confess your sins to him, he takes away the sin of the world. He wants to take away your guilt. You don't have to walk around feeling guilty. Not only does he take away your guilt, he will also do what? Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's not enough to be forgiven. Jesus will give you power. He will transform your life. He will empower your life. Tonight, we point you to the center, the Lamb of God, the Alpha and the Omega of your salvation, He who died for us. That is Jesus. I like the words of one theologian who said, Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sins in which he had no share. That we might be justified by his righteousness in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life which was his. With his stripes we are healed. That's Jesus. He died for you. And the Bible tells us, read with us tonight, all together. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Not just the world, your sins. Jesus wants to take away your burden of guilt, but you have to confess your sin to him. Because Jesus died for us, he has the power to forgive us. Because he is alive today, he has the power to enable us to live the empowered life. And so the Bible says, what's it say? As, as many, many as, as received him, him Jesus, Jesus, to them, them he gave, gave power. power. I have a question for you tonight. Have you received Jesus? You might be thinking, well, how? How do you receive Jesus? We want to make it so simple that even a child could understand how. There are five steps to receiving Jesus. Number one, and you can do this in personal prayer. Number one, you must acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. I had somebody tell me one time, I don't sin. If you don't sin, you don't need a Savior. You must first acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That's number one. Number two, you must believe that Jesus died for you. And I believe that he would have died for you personally, if you had been the only one that he had to save, because his love for us is so great. If he didn't die for you, you don't have hope. Jesus died for you, number two. Number three, come to Jesus just as you are. Don't wait till you feel like you're good enough. Remember the thief on the cross? There were two thieves. One repented, the other didn't. The repentant thief, how much penance had he done? How many good deeds had he done? He was being crucified for his sins. Did Jesus accept him when he confessed to the Lord? Oh, yes, he'll, he'll receive you. Come to Jesus as you are. Don't wait till you feel good enough. Come as you are to Jesus. Number and then, three. And then number four, confess your sins to Jesus. You know what those sins are. Confess them to him specifically and ask for forgiveness. And what's the promise, son, when we confess? He is faithful and just to forgive us. So you can be sure when you confess that you are forgiven. And then number five, invite him to come into your heart and give you power. Five simple steps. 
And we do this in personal prayer. You don't need a script. You don't need a, 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 a script prayer. You can talk to Jesus in your own words. You say, dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Use your own words. I believe, Jesus, you died for my sins. And so I come today just as I am. I confess my sins to you. And you know what those sins are. You confess them to him, specific sins. And when you confess, what does he do? Forgives. What's the promise? He will forgive. That's his promise. Did he lie? No. And then, number five, you say, Lord, I invite you to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to give me power. And when you're all done, what else should you say? And you say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for being my Savior. It's that simple. Not complicated. You can receive Jesus. How? Bible tells us how. Revelation 3, verse 20. It says here, Behold, I stand at the door. This is Christ speaking. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, he's calling too. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Son, if I see somebody coming up to my apartment, does the fact that I see them coming to my door mean they're going to get in my apartment? Oh. What do I have to do? You have to open the door. When they knock, what must I do? Open. I have to open the door. Is that all? No. Did you ever open the door for a salesman? Say, sorry. I'm not interested. Beside opening the door, what else must you do? Invite them in. You must invite Jesus. It's that simple. The door is your choice. You say, dear Lord, I invite you to come into my life. Be my Savior. That's how easy it is to receive Jesus. Tonight, the Alpha and the Omega of prophecy is knocking at your heart's door. He, the source of all power, wants to come into your life and give you power. There is hope for you. Christ's pleading voice, you must perceive There is hope for you in Jesus Christ alone, you must believe. There is hope for you. Salvation is a gift you must receive. So there is hope in Christ for you. There is hope for you. Christ stands at your heart's door. There is hope for you. The price of sin for you he bore. There is hope for you. Receive his power and so much more. Yes, there is hope in Christ for you. The Bible says, what's it say? All together. As many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them he gave power. Tonight we want to do something very special as we end our meeting. We want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus. If you've never received Jesus as your personal Savior, then tonight you will have opportunity to do that. We're going to have several moments of silent prayer. This is between you and Jesus. And if you've not received Jesus, then in silent prayer, quiet prayer, you can invite him to come into your life. You can pray that simple prayer, Lord, I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe, Lord, you died for my sins, and tonight I'm coming to you just as I am. 
I confess my sins to you, and you can confess them in silent prayer, and then say, dear Jesus, I invite you to come into my life, be my Savior. If you've never done that, tonight is your opportunity. There may be someone here, you once received Jesus, but you recognize tonight that something has happened, you've drifted away from the Lord, maybe you've become what they call a backslider. And you know that you need to receive Jesus anew, afresh tonight. You can do that in silent prayer. There may be a Christian here who is carrying a burden of guilt. Tonight, I'm going to invite you in silent prayer to lay that burden down upon the Lamb of God, Jesus. Or maybe you are a professing church member, but you realize there's no power in your life. Tonight, you can ask Jesus to give you power. Whether you've received Jesus before or whether you've never received him before, tonight you can again receive Christ as your Savior. So what we're going to do, we're going to have several minutes of silent prayer. I'll invite us to stand. Let's all stand together at this moment. We've asked our technicians to play some quiet music in the background. And as the music plays, you can talk to Jesus silently in your own words. And then after several minutes of silent prayer, we'll have a general prayer to end our meeting. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.